Um, as Emily said earlier, we're, uh, we're having a big celebration uh, next Sunday, and we're excited about that. And uh, leading up to that, um, it's, it's our 10-year celebration, by the way. If you haven't been here, you're new this morning. We've been around for about 10 years. And uh, leading up to that for this month, we've been talking a little bit about what's made New Denver what it is over the last 10 years and how that really sets uh, the course for where we're headed, hopefully, over the next 10 years. Um, so let me start with our vision. Our vision's simple. It's new lives, new Denver, new world. So when we started the church, we believed that um, God is in the process of bringing transformation and renewal to each of our lives. And we want to be a church that is partnering with him in that. But we also believe, and Dan talked about this a lot last week, in case if you are here, uh, we believe that God is doing something in our city, that he's bringing transformation and renewal to our city as well. And we want to partner with him in that. But new world means that we believe God is bringing transformation and renewal to our entire world. And that we want to be a part of that as well. And uh, honestly, if I'm, if I'm honest, that, that feels a bit presumptuous for a little church like us to be about what God is doing in the world. But let me tell you where that part of our vision comes from. It comes from this book. And it comes from the story in this book. And we all know how the story starts. It starts by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even if you haven't read the Bible recently, you know that part of the story. Things start off really, really well, but we also know what happens next. Things go downhill pretty quickly. And it's not very long until the Bible describes the whole earth is corrupted by human sin, which really just means we're not kind to each other. We're not nice to each other. We're petty. We can be selfish at times. We can get jealous, right? Uh, we can hurt one another. Sometimes we hate one another. And, and sometimes it's not just people that hate one another, but it's whole groups of people that hate one another. It's whole cultures of people that hate one another. And sometimes that hate even leads to violence, so much so that the whole earth is corrupted by this hatred and this violence, that it's, it's almost like a stain. It's, it's something that, that corrupts the whole earth. In fact, one part of the Bible even says that the earth itself groans under the weight of human sin and selfishness and violence and hatred and death. So things get bad pretty quickly, but then the story continues. And it tells us that God found this one man named Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I want you to start a new family and a new group of people. And then he said this specifically, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And the Hebrew word that's used there is the word goy. Um, and goy in Hebrew, these, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Goy in Hebrew uh, really means a people group. It, it means a nation, but we use the word nation today differently than ancient people use it. When it says nation, um, don't think of a nation with sort of political boundaries and a government and all those sorts of things. Nation just means uh, in that language and in that culture, a, a people group with their own language and with their own culture and their own traditions. And so... God says to this guy named Abram, I want you to start a new family, and from your family, I'm going to make you into a great people or a great nation. And I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So God is making a promise in the midst of this corrupt and evil world. And chapters 3 through 11 in Genesis just keep pounding that over and over. Things get really bad in the world. In the midst of all that, God comes to this one guy and says, I'm going to create a people out of you and your descendants, and I'm going to bless you so richly, but it's not just about you. It's ultimately about all peoples on the earth. And the story continues throughout Genesis and Exodus. We find out that this nation is created. They become Israel, and they're delivered in this miraculous way. And then one day, as they're about to enter the promised land, God gives them a whole bunch of laws and a whole bunch of rules that they should live by. And Moses stands up, and he reminds them of the purpose of these laws. And look at what he says. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to the nations, the goyim, who will hear about all of these decrees, and they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So this is part of a longer speech that Moses gives, and he's basically saying we should follow all these laws because it's good for us. I mean, all the laws are basically serve and love your neighbor. Like, those are good things we should do. But it's not just about us. Let's always keep in mind God has a much bigger vision. It's about all nations, all peoples in the world. Uh, Years later, uh, Israel would have a whole bunch of kings. And I'm excited in a couple weeks we're going to kick off a new series where we're going to look at some specific stories from the lives of these ancient kings of Israel and Judah Um, But one of those kings is named Solomon. You've probably heard of him. He's known for his wisdom. And Solomon, when he's king, he builds this massive temple in Jerusalem. And it's for the nation of Israel. And at the uh, dedication of the temple, he prays this long prayer to dedicate this building. And in the prayer, he reminds him that this is the place where our people will come and worship God, where we'll come and pray to God, where God will hear us, where we'll confess our sin to God, and he'll forgive us. But at the end of that prayer... Look at what Solomon says. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel. See, Solomon's saying, even this building that we're building has a bigger vision than just us and what we're gonna do here. That's about all people and all nations. Even the Psalms pick up this theme. When they gather in that building, they would sing these Psalms, and we said the words of Psalm 67 earlier. Do you remember this song that they would sing? They would say, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. 
So even in the songs they would sing, regularly they would be reminding themselves, this is not just about us. The vision is so much bigger. Uh, now, Israel didn't always live up to this vision. They didn't always believe the words they were singing, right? That's crazy. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't often see their neighbors this way because sometimes their neighbors didn't like them. Sometimes the other nations hated them. Sometimes the other nations did violence against them, and they did it right back. In fact, sometimes they didn't want God to bless the other nations or love the other nations or show compassion on the other nations. They wanted God to judge and destroy the other nations. And so the Hebrew prophets came along, and they challenged Israel to see a different future to envision a day when God would ultimately make everything right in the world, when God would make everything new, not just for Israel, but for all peoples. Look at, what the, word, uh, look at the words from the prophet Micah. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You see, the prophets envisioned this day when, when God's promise to bless all the nations would ultimately come true, when God would make everything right again, and there wouldn't be any more human conflict. There wouldn't be any more human hatred. There would be justice and equity. There wouldn't be war anymore. And the other uh, prophets saw the same vision. Isaiah talked about that day being a day when everything would be made new, when there wouldn't be any more crying or pain or tears or death. God would do something new to make the world right again. Another prophet came along hundreds of years later, like Micah and Isaiah, but his name was Jesus. And he talked about that day as well. He envisioned that future as well. In fact, he even talked about the future as a wedding banquet he said, one day there's going to be people that come from far and wide, from the north and the south and the east and west, from all over, to sit down and have this meal, to dine with God himself. But Jesus was different from those other prophets. Because when he talked about this day and when he talked about this future, when he talked about God doing something new for Israel and new for the entire world, he indicated that he would be at the center of all of it. That somehow when God did something new, it would be through him. Jesus attracted followers. People began to believe this message and follow him. And yet following him isn't always easy. It can be hard at times. Sometimes your own life doesn't go the way you want to, and it's hard to think about the world. It's hard to think about a vision when your own life is a bit of a mess. And so in the middle of his teaching one day, Jesus is teaching, one of his followers says this. Peter answered Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Hey, Jesus, remember when we came up with that vision statement, right? 
new lives, new Galilee, new world. Like, remember that? When's the new lives part going to happen, right? Because this is really hard. We've given up a lot to follow you, so when are we going to see some return on our investment? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, And then he actually goes on to answer Peter's question, which I love because he rarely answers people's questions, right? I mean, he usually just asks other questions back or talks about other things or tells parables. But here's one of those times where he says, basically, that's a great question, and I'm going to answer your question, Peter. But before I do that, before I tell you what you can expect God to do, I want you to remember And I want you to be reminded, and I want you to understand that the vision is so much bigger than you and your life, or your people, or your tribe, or your family, or your nation. This is ultimately about one day God renewing all things. God is doing something huge. It's about all peoples, all nations, the renewal of all things. So when we started New Denver 10 years ago, um, like Peter, I think we were mostly focused on what God was doing in our lives, right? And we started this church because we wanted to create a place where we could really embrace the transformation and the renewal that God could bring in our individual lives. But we also had this idea at the beginning that God was bringing renewal and transformation to our city, And we wanted to be a part of that as well. And so that's even the name of the church, New Denver Church. But we couldn't escape this bigger vision. It's almost as if God kept nudging us. And the more we read the Bible, the more we saw that the story of the Bible was saturated with this idea that it's not just about us, and it's not just about our families, and it's not just about our neighborhoods or even our cities. It's about the whole world. That God is doing something huge, and we can join him in that. But that's hard when you're starting a church. Because let me just tell you what it's like. When you start a church, uh, in the first year or two, you're just trying to make it. You're just trying to survive. Like You're you're just doing everything you can to make this thing work. It's kind of like starting a new business. If anybody's ever started a new business, right? Year one, two, or three, you're just trying to get this thing off the ground and make it. And in church world, making it means getting people to show up and getting people to give, right? That's just how you survive because you have to pay the bills at some point. You have to pay rent. And so you're just, if you don't do everything you can to focus on getting people to show up and get people to give, then you're just not going to make it. And yet, it felt like in those early months that God was saying, I want you to let go of those things, getting people to show up and getting people to give. I want you to just trust me with that. And I don't want you to forget about this bigger vision of being a part of what God is doing in the world. And so I remember um, within a month or two after having our first Uh, worship services in October of 2009. And let me just say, our first worship services weren't stunning successes. I mean, at this point, we had 30 
Maybe if everybody showed up on a Sunday, 35 people, right? And I remember sitting down and saying, we need to ask this question. How can we be a part of what God is doing in the world? Practically speaking, what does that look like? I remember me and, and Stephen and Jason, the other founding pastor, sitting in this room. We were meeting at another church at the time, and, and a couple of other LDP um, resident seminary students who were part of the, the church at that time, Drew and Chris. I remember the five of us literally sitting around this table and exploring this question, how can we be a part of what God is doing in the world? And as we discussed that, we came to a few conclusions pretty quickly. We said, one, let's just focus on one place. We, we can't do it all. We can't even do very much right now. So let's just find one place in the world, one group of people in the world, and let's focus on engaging there. Second, let's make it accessible, right? I mean, it would be awesome to be a part of some of the cool things that God is doing in India or in Asia or in Africa or a place like that. But those are a long ways away. It takes a long time to get there. It's really expensive to travel there. And that's just going to be really hard for a new church with not a lot of resources. So let's just find somewhere that's going to be a little bit easier and more accessible for us to get involved in. Third, we said, um, let's just pick a Spanish-speaking area, right? Denver itself has a large Spanish-speaking population. If there's any other language that people in our congregation might know other than English, it would probably be Spanish. So let's engage somewhere in Mexico or in Central America or in South America. And then finally, we said, let's partner with another local church. We're a local church. Let's find another local church in this area that we feel like God leads us to, and let's just come alongside of them and learn and engage what God is doing in their world with them. Now, there were some other important ideas we explored about what this engagement might look like, and I don't have time to go into all of that. Um, but I said in the midst of these discussions as we had them, I said, well, I've been to Guatemala. I've done some work down there. I have two kids who were born there, right? I know there's a lot of needs, and we talked about that, and we all decided, like, that's a great option. Let's consider that. And we looked at some other options and began exploring where God might lead us. And at the end of those meetings, we said, you know what? Let's take a few months to just explore and do some research and see and listen and pray about where God might lead us. Well, three months later, we're still exploring those options, and I got an email from the CEO of an organization in town called Healing Waters International. Um, we had met Ed, the CEO, through a mutual friend. Uh, they were headquartered here in Denver, and he had heard about the church we were starting, and he had been a supporter, and he'd even come to one of our earliest services and said, you know, what you guys are doing is great, and uh, I just love it. And um, we found out that Healing Waters International provided uh, or attempted to provide clean water access to people and in places where there was no access to clean water. And three of the countries that they worked in uh, the most, one of those was Guatemala. In fact, they had 70 churches down in Guatemala that they partnered with, those local churches, to provide clean water to their communities in need. And so I get this email from Ed in March of 2010, and he said, I have a wild and crazy idea for you. And that's literally what he said. I went and found the email this past week. He started it with, I have a wild and crazy idea for you. Next month, I'm going to Guatemala for four days. 
And I'm going to visit a bunch of our sites and a bunch of the churches that we work with down there. And we're actually going to have a conference where we're going to gather all 70 partner churches and talk to them about what we're doing. Would you be interested in going on that trip with me? Oh, and by the way, Healing Waters will pay for it all. Let me think and pray about that, Ed. Yes, yes, I am interested, right? And so began God's work at leading us to Guatemala. On that trip in April 2010, a month later, this is one of the churches I saw. It was there in Guatemala City. Um, these were small storefront churches, and there's a little storefront there where they um, had a clean water processing room, and they would um, sell at a really low cost clean water to people um, in their community. Um, I got to hear a lot about what they were doing, and then uh, four months later, took a team of six people from New Denver Church back to Guatemala. Healing Waters helped us identify three potential partners that were in more rural places in Guatemala, people that they weren't currently working with, but um, based on their uh, networking down there, three potential people and churches that we might work with. And it was on that trip that, that man, That's when I met Antonio. Some of you know Antonio. <clears throat> He's an amazing guy. Um, and we began talking about our little church in Denver, Colorado, and his little church in San Pablo, La Laguna, Guatemala. And it felt like God was saying, this could be a place where you guys, I mean, the needs are huge, so I don't even know what we're going to do, but maybe we just start becoming friends with these people and seeing what God is doing down there. The next spring, um, we took another trip. Uh, this time I took Stephen uh, to go back with me, and that's Jake. He was on staff at Healing Waters at the time. Um, to go back to explore one more time what a potential uh, partnership might look like with them down there. Um, that's actually, for those of you who have been there, that's actually standing in front of the church. Uh, there was no second story at that point. Um, that's standing in front of the front first story of the church. And as we were there for a few days, um, we stayed in this hotel uh, right across um, the lake. Uh, we were looking across the lake, and that's the little village of San Pablo. And we were praying and thinking about what God was doing. And it just felt like God was leading us to begin a partnership down there working in San Pablo. And so began our vision of working down there. Now, I should add one thing at this point. Uh, Stephen and Jake were not a lot of help on this trip. <laughs> Um, that's pretty much all they did, the whole trip. So, kidding, kidding. Um, but it was on that trip that we decided to take the next step. A few months later, uh, I took my whole family down there. We lived with Pastor Antonio in his house for a whole month. Uh, we took Spanish classes. We just hung out with them. We went to church all the time. We got to know the people of the village. And at the end of that trip... Um, Dan led a team down to join us. Um, this is our first partnership trip in July of 2011. Um, we worked on the second floor of the church at that time. This is the current sanctuary. If you've been down there, we worked with a team of men who were doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and it was just an amazing trip. And since that time, we've taken 16 partnership trips down to Guatemala. 
Many of you have been a part of those. We've seen some amazing things happen. We've helped them start a school. Many of you have supported the hundreds of kids who have gone through that school to provide education in this small, impoverished village. And we've had our eyes towards what God is doing in the world, not even just in Guatemala, but in other places. Um, Dave and Candace have come along, and we've tried to support them and their amazing work uh, down in Africa. And then even on that trip, you can see Rachel and Jesse Geiger. Jesse's holding his head up with his hat, and Rachel's there uh, on the end, second to the end. And they caught a vision for what God was doing in the world. And a few years later, they believed that God was leading them to go to Africa. And now they live and they provide clean water access for people in Uganda. And we regularly support them and what they're doing down there. And it's all because of this vision. New lives, new Denver, new world. Because we deeply believe that it's not just about what God's doing in our church or even in our city, that God wants us to join him in the renewal of all things. Now, <clears throat> let me be clear. Um, we've made mistakes along the way. Uh, our partnership in Guatemala has not always been smooth. Um, there's been bumps along the road. There's been challenges. Um, we've tried some things that didn't work well at all. We've experienced failure down there. We've realized that the American way of doing things is not always the Guatemalan way of doing things. And we have come face to face with our limitations, which can be really hard um, because there's something exciting about going out and changing the world, right? There's something exciting about a vision of changing the world. I did an experiment uh, recently. I went to the worldwide catalog of books. It's called WorldCat, um, and it catalogs all books that have been published that exist in any libraries around the world. And uh, I did a search for how many books have been published since 2010 with the words, change the world, or some variation of that, changing the world or changed the world in the title. So just print books in the English language in the last nine years, there have been 2,257 books with the word Change the World in the title. There's a book called Two Billion Under 20, How Millennials Are Breaking Down Age Barriers and Changing the World. There's Mayflower, The Voyage That Changed the World. If you go back to the decade before that, in 2000 to 2009, there's 1,281 books with that in the title. There's the riddle of the compass, the invention that changed the world. There's mauve, how one man invented a color that changed the world. <laughs> Has it really? I mean, really? Um, in the 1990s, there were 386 books. Tourists, how our fastest growing industry is changing the world. Speeding the net the inside story of Netscape and how it changed the world. <laughs> In the 1980s, 104 books. 1970s, 81. 1960s, 80, right? That was a good decade for changing the world. 1950s, 34. 
In the first half of the 20th century, from 1900 to 1949, an average each decade of 14. The first modern printed book is the Gutenberg Bible from 1455. Do you know how many books were written between 1455 and 1899 with the words change the world in the title? Zero. Nobody for 450 years before the 20th century even thought about changing the world. Um, now, Jillian, who's here, uh, and she teaches math, she could come up here, and she could show us how this is an exponential curve, right? And uh, she could help us extrapolate into the future and understand that in exactly 28 years, every single book ever written will have changed the world in the title. I don't know, but I'm just going to venture a crazy guess here. I think we've become obsessed with changing the world. But here's an important truth that we can't forget, especially as followers of Jesus. We are not the ones to change the world. We are not the ones to change the world. Now, of course, human actions have human consequences, right? But I mean, when it comes to this grand vision of a new world, a new world without poverty, a new world without sickness, a new world without human conflict and hatred and war, a new world full of hope, a new world where everyone doesn't experience guilt or shame or know the love and forgiveness of Jesus in their lives. Only God can make that world. Only God can create that world. Our role is simply to see that vision. Our role is to hear that vision. Our role is to believe that vision. And from time to time, our role is to participate in, to respond to the invitation to participate in that vision, but only God can actually make it happen. After all, here's how the story ends. The Apostle John sees a vision of how the story ends, and it's a fitting end to the Bible, the book of Revelation, where he gives this vision. And here's what he says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from Every tribe, every people, every language. The Zutahil spoken in Lake Atitlan. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And he goes on to describe, oops, let me go back. Oh, I don't have the last verse in there. I'll read it for you. He goes on to describe, here's how it all ends. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. The 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But he who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. All things made new. That's where all this is going. And so that's why our vision remains new lives, new Denver, new world. That's what he invites us to keep being a part of. What he's doing new in our lives, what he's doing new in our city, and yes, what he's doing new in our world. And I hope you'll join us with that. Let me pray. God, thank you for what you've done in the lives of our brothers and sisters in San Pablo, La Laguna. Thank you for what you've done in the lives of so many people who need crutches and devices in Africa. Thank you for what you've done in Gulu, Uganda, for people there who don't have access to electricity, to clean water, who don't know the hope of Jesus. Thank you for what you've done in countless places around our world where there's very little Christian presence, where people don't know your compassion from the people that are doing work there. God, may you continue to help us be mindful of what you're doing, not just in our lives or in our city, but across this entire world. And help us to know how to join you in the renewal of all things. Pray this in your name. Amen.